Running a business comes with pressure. Remote workforces, HR compliance, retaining top talent. You start to feel boxed in. Fortunately, there's Insperity. They put 30 plus years of HR service and technology to work, offering my employees competitive benefit options while lightening my HR load. Instead of obstacles, I'm surrounded by people empowered to be their best. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frames. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hun, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next stop, groceries. So you can get a little more of what you need. Find a Vision Center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart. To the Calm Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And I am your co-host Shane McKay, and I'm your other co-host, the opposite side of the coin, Christopher Sneed. And today we're going to be talking about zero waste with a great guy, Jack O'Sullivan from Zero Waste Alliance Ireland, who you can find yeah. zwai.ie. They've got a great website, guys. Actually, you should go and check it out. Well, you can see that massive amount of landfill. We've got yeah, one that, ask Jack that's about pretty that. disgusting, like, isn't it? Yeah, it's unreal. I want to find out where that is. Jack is the director of Zero Waste Alliance, founded two thousand three or two thousand four. We have to double check that. Zero Waste Alliance is an Irish end. NGO which advocates a cradle to cradle approach to circular economy and ensuring that anything we produce or import can be repaired, reused, recycled or composted at the end of its life. And Chris, this is a subject we're quite passionate about, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean we were really excited to see the new right to repair kind of movements um come coming into effect really. Yeah. Like It was all over the news last week with Apple and the Chargers, mm-hmm. and we covered that um, on a live stream last Sunday, if you just want to go and check that out. And uh, Jack, actually, he's also got a consultancy uh, yeah. business called he's Environmental... What is it, Chris? Management, environmental Management Services. Yeah, and they're and going a long the, time. Oh, yeah, for like 44 years or so. Yeah. And he's the owner-director, yeah. And... Um, Yeah, it's it, there's a great quote actually from from their kind of blurb is um the like uh was it I believe addressing climate change is the greatest challenge facing humanity and the mitigation of its effects can be resolved only by cooperation, innovation and sharing. Yeah, so like, well in tune. Mm. Do you want to bring Jack in there? Yeah, Jack, are you there? I am, of course, guys, and thank you for a fantastic introduction. Oh, you're very welcome, Jack. We're absolutely delighted to have you here. It's, it's great to talk to a like-minded individual, you know? Well, I feel I'm among like-minded individuals because not only are you interested in zero waste, you're interested in the environment, nature, culture, art, mm. and human well-being, all of which are essential, and, and we should be looking at them together instead of looking at them separately because they're all completely tied together. Oh, yeah. Not close to nature, 
we don't have good well-being, if we're fecking up the planet and fouling up the environment, is it not surprising that, that we have a lot of illness of every sort among human beings and other creatures with whom we share the planet as well? That's Absolutely. It. And we, we, did a, we did a show about wellness there last week and we covered the fact that, you know, our environment is, it, it, that is part of wellness. So whether you want to talk about climate or the environment, if we're not, look, we see it anyway, at least that if you're not looking after the environment, how are you looking after your health? A hundred percent. And the figures, anything I read about human health and well-being and the environment says are closely connected. I, lead, I read that journal called The Lancet, which is a very, very good Oh, medical. I love The Lancet. Do oh. you? Great, Chris. Oh, yeah. It's the oldest medical publication in the world. It's been going since like the late medieval period. Uh, I think it has. It goes back a long, long way, um, like myself. Like yeah. like zero waste. Uh, like, a, a, a lancet was a tool used by barber surgeons and kind of you know cunning men and things, which was a very small knife that they could hide in like a ring or whatever to take yeah. blood samples. Um, and they use it to take blood because yeah. in those the long far off days, one way of attempting to cure an illness, which of course we now know is a bit kind of rubbishy. Um, it's actually, it's actually they, they, they still use uh, bloodletting to a degree in some medicines, um, only, only really for hematoxychromia. Oh, that's fair enough. You've got yeah. me there now, Chris. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. how you pronounce hematoxychromia. Sounding exactly <laughs> like a doctor who would do it was perfect like, pronunciation. The history, the history of medicine is a bit of a nerd topic of mine. I used to be a historical reenactor doing the history of medicine. Really? Oh, that must yeah, be fantastic. If you ever do a stage show, Chris, on that, I'll be along. <laughs> sure, we'll, we'll get back to the topic at hand anyway. Yes, back to the topic. <laughs> yes, you well, asked Shane about Zero Waste Alliance Ireland. Um, yeah. And these are the, the, this is the main organisation we'll, we'll talk about. So you mentioned they have a consultancy as well. Um, way back in the 1990s, I was doing lots of work around the country for small groups of people local residents who were against landfilling. Either they were living near a landfill and they were being uh, affected by flies, rats, smells, smoke in some cases where landfills water went. Water contamination. Fire. Yeah, water contamination, absolutely. And some of them took uh, court cases in one, for example, now near Ballinasloe, they barricaded the landfill so the lorries couldn't get in. I remember that. And that was that was on the news and all, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. A lot of these cases hit the news. And then uh, Galway County Council took an injunction against them, so it ended up in court. And we, ha I was part of the of the crowd working for the local people as a consultant. And they had a legal team, and we were in court. And eventually, Galway County Council closed the landfill down. Similarly, in County Clare, in Tipperary, we got quite a lot of landfills closed. And other people then were being oppo opposing very strongly the idea of new landfills because, of course, as old ones closed, new ones had to be opened, or so they thought. Mm -hmm. That was the idea at the time. Just uh, use it and dump it. Yeah. And again, there were quite a number of court cases, some of which we won and some of which we lost. But in 1999, a number of those groups came together in the Hudson Bay Hotel near Athlone. And we formed a kind of an alliance. I gave a paper on landfilling. The rest were kind of people I knew or people who knew people I knew. 
And out of that, by about 2003, Zero Waste Alliance Ireland was formed because I had said and other people had said as well, what we really need to do is just have zero waste. I remember saying, there's no waste in a forest. Yeah, Everything. that's it, Jack. Exactly. Like yeah, the, in, in, in nature, doesn't waste stuff. Yeah, it's, it's the circular economy. If we knew about it at the time, mm. that was where the term "cradle to cradle" came in, because a couple of American authors had said we're not interested in the cradle to grave approach, which mm. is making mm. sure we extract stuff, deal with it, and then bury it. But the cradle to cradle, meaning it gets into a kind of a circle, it gets fed back in at the beginning. Exactly. So anything that we produce, which is, uh, say, made of metal or plastic, it goes back into the technical, the technical circle. We can reuse it, melt it down, turn it into something else. Anything that is biological goes back into the ground. It's composted. It's made into, um, it's, it could be digested as well too, anaerobically yeah. or composted. We, we, we've been talking about that quite a lot ourselves. Actually. Great. Yeah. That's one of my uh, great fashions is composting mm. and and uh, so on so that's how it all started and then it went on for a long time with only a few people and in 20 late 2019 and 2020 we we decided we really have to do something about it and we did two things which are very important to raise zero waste alliance ireland a little bit further up the scale we started employing someone we have a lovely girl now called or Orla, Orla. Orla. Yeah, I've spoken with Orla. She's lovely, actually. Yeah, He's great. Yeah. She's super. And um, we now have moved from being about four or five members up to about, I think, 16 or 17. And we are looking for new members. Yeah. So okay. any of your listeners who are very interested and would like to join up, do get in touch with Orla Kutin through the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland website. Now, yeah. that landfill, by the way, you saw is not in Ireland, mm. but it's very similar to landfills we had years ago. Right. Right. I've seen and explored on behalf of work I was doing landfills in Kaliningrad, in Russia and in Lithuania. At that time, they were bad, like the Irish ones. Mm. Mm. Well, what do we do now, you might ask? Well, you could say it's an improvement. On the other hand, there's, I don't think it's that of an improvement. We have a few landfills left now in Ireland, very, very few. The EPA keeps a fairly tight control over them, but we shouldn't have any, except maybe for some very old legacy stuff you can do nothing with. Mm. So where does most of our waste go? The answer is we burn it. Mm. Recycling, ha! Huh. <laughs> That's meant to be a, a derisory, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. It goes into the big incinerator in Dublin. It goes into the incinerator in County Meath, which is next to a cement plant. It also goes into cement plants. Mm. Cement plants are absolute, absolutely like, low paper yeah, you, plastic. You need, you need fairly high temperatures for the lime kilns, you know? That's absolutely right, Chris. 1,400 degrees yeah. centigrade. And when we... Um, mix that lime and the other stone shale together and we make what they call clinker out of it. Mm -hmm. The lime gives off a lot of, the limestone gives off a lot of carbon dioxide. Yeah. So not only are we using huge amounts of fuel, whether it was say gas or coal or oil or, or um, they used to use a stuff called carbon before as well. Yeah. 
But more, so that's giving off a lot of carbon dioxide. But in addition to that, the chemical reaction to produce the cement gives off carbon dioxide. So cement is hitting the climate with a double whammy. Mm. And plus, like we're 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 in a country here where we saw a massive boom in um in in property. So like there, there's been a ton of concrete. I'm not a big fan of concrete myself either. Actually, in our like um we were we, we were looking at putting a bit down in the garden. I was like, no, I want my soil. I want the drainage. Yeah, well, you're right. Um, concrete has three main disadvantages. One, it costs an enormous amount to produce uh, mm-hmm. in terms of energy. Now, it may not cost a lot in terms of money because most of these big companies have big quarries where they dig out the limestone. That's, they're taking out an, a, a communal resource, but they're not charged for that. You can operate a quarry in Ireland for very little money, and we'll come back to that mm. later. That's interesting, yeah. But they're also using up a lot of our waste, uh, which could be recycled. Mm. And so we're giving it to them, and they, they, it's almost free. In fact, if you drive up to a cement plant with 20 tonnes of packaged, uh, what do they call it, refuse-derived fuel or solid-recovered fuel, Mm. you have to pay them to take it. Mm. Now, imagine if somebody drives up to my house with a big load of logs and uh, he wants to give them to me, and I say, well, I'm going to have to charge you 50 euro for for that load of logs. He'd kick me down the road. (laughs) He'd be charging me 100 euro or 200 Mm. euro for a big lorry for a trailer load of logs. So it's really crazy. And we don't use other building materials. We right. have superb building materials in Ireland. One is clay. Yep. Yeah, clay I is great. houses built of clay. I was in an eco-village in Hungary many, many years ago. A lovely guy there was building his house. He was digging out the clay almost next to the house. Nicely yep. holding oh. the ground. Someone did the same thing in Sherwood Forest there a few years ago as well. Really, Chris? Yeah. Very interesting. Wow. Uh, he, he used barley straw blocks and then yes. put the clay around them because it was an, it's an absolutely perfect insulating material. It is very good. And what surprised me was how strong clay actually is. And I had direct experience of that myself mm. because this guy, uh, Bela Boschus, he came back with me to Ireland for a visit at one stage. And somewhere in County Meath or between here and Dublin, this here being the middle of West Meath, by the way, somewhere between here and Dublin, there was an, an old house I'd spotted, probably just a little old tiny cottage used as a, an animal shelter. And the plaster had fallen off the walls in a few places. And I saw the walls were made of clay. It could have been at least 150, 200 years old. So we got out of the car, we climbed over the fence, we looked at this clay, and I tried to scratch it with my fingernail, thinking it would be soft. It was as hard as anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially if it's a high iron clay or, you know. It could have been, Chris. It was that mm. dark brown color anyway. Yeah, that would be a high iron clay because when, yeah. when, you, when you fire it or whatever, it, like, the, the, it locks together completely. Like, yeah. Sorry, I do, I do a bit of pottery as well. <laughs> Chris, geez. You know, I was a potter for a while. Oh, wow. I was. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you how it happened. And I don't know if your listeners might be interested in this story. Oh, we'd love to hear some stories, yeah. Jack, please. Stories are gr- I think stories are great. Absolutely. I'm a great fan of people like John Moriarty, who says, you know, we, we live by our stories. That's it. My first research job after graduating in biology and zoology and biochemistry down in UCC in Cork, 
I went up to County Mayo where I was doing work around the shores of Loch Con, basically uh, collecting and identifying the organisms that were living in the lake bed and around the lake shore. This was to see if they had been affected by the, the drainage of the lake and reduction of the level. At that time, I had a motor scooter, by the way, and I used to tow a trailer behind it. It was a great way of getting around. It really was. The trailer was made from an old golf cart, which wasn't supposed to be doing 40 miles an hour. But it did it. <laughs> so close to the B&B where I was staying, I saw a sign saying pottery. So being a curious type of person, I walked up there. And in I went, and I could see they had all the stuff. I didn't know anything about pottery at all, nothing, literally. No. And there was a French woman, Madeleine Freyre. She's long since passed away. She's mm. a lovely woman. That was, that was about 15, 20 years ago, was it, that she passed uh, away? This was in the 1960s, Chris. Oh, right. Then yeah. I, must know some, I must know pot, another French potter. Uh, well, uh, was there? Yeah, if, if you do, I'd love, to, I'd love to make that connection. Oh, um, no, no, she's died about 20 years ago. Ah, well, Madeline died about 20 years ago. All right, then it must be the same person, maybe. Oh, but you mean it was the 60s when this from when this is story oh, from those? Oh, right. yeah. oh, I thought yeah. you said yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. so um, she said to me, what do you do? So I said, I'm a biologist. And she said, of course, then that means you can draw. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Maybe, and of course it did happen in those days, and maybe it's still true, that if you do biology, you have to dissect creatures. We dissected earthworms, frogs, yeah. and various other creatures. And you have to draw what you see and label it. And I got, I, I got an ability to draw. So a brown piece of brown wrapping paper and a pencil was produced. And I sat down, I drew, I drew crabs, lobsters, fish, and seashells and all the different kinds of marine animals because even though I was working around a freshwater lake, my real, real love was the sea. Wow, yeah. My love is still the sea very, very much. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's another area we'd love to get into, Jack, because the, oh, the, well. yeah, the sea is in real, real peril right now. And it so is. are we because of that as well and the rest of that's the planet. so right, Shane. So Madeline said to me, words like the following. If you can draw that on a piece of paper, you can do it on a pot. Doing. <laughs> so I was instructed in the, in the technique of scraffito. And how this works is that you make the pot out of dark clay. It could be a throne pot. It could mm. be a slab pot. And you might know about this, Chris, yeah. if you're a potter. And it's a nice dark and then be, we call it green clay. And then before it's fired, you dry it a bit, and then you put some slip on it by pouring slip in and pouring yeah. it off and slip. For those of your listeners who might know it, it's like a, a creamy stuff, yeah. a white creamy stuff. And you pour it off again, and uh, you let the pot dry a little bit. Now the dry... hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jeez, you know it. And if it's too hard, the slip will crack. If it's not hard enough, it'll flow. So now you take it very carefully, leather hard, and with a piece of bamboo, which you've cut into a little chisel point, you draw through the white slip into the dark clay. And that gives you a drawing of dark lines against a white background. Oh, wow. And you can't make a mistake, because if you do, no. it's very, very hard to patch it yeah. up. It's, it's very similar to um, 
the the frescoes like you have to work while it's you know in the exact right space and you have to be as precise as possible because there's no changing there's no editing oh that's <laughs> oh so true chris and i used to do as well as drawings of marine life i used to do um celtic designs celtic oh novel. wow really wow have you got so, any of that anywhere, Jack, that we can look at? Uh, there's one or two pieces left. One or two pieces here in the house. Great. So I used to, I did that when I was working out there for two years in County Mayo. I'd go up to the pottery in the evenings and the weekends. And I didn't get paid. I was very happy. I got fed. And what was lovely was that um, the people who ran it, Madeline and Grattan Freyer, place was called Terry Bond. It still exists as a pottery and they still produce mm. lovely stuff. And they used to love lobsters. So north of May, on the north coast of May, was a place called Port Turlin and another place called Port Atloy. Not far, by the way, from where there's a magnificent group of people who are my heroes who resisted Shell for many, many years. Absolutely. Yeah. Great Very work. Great work there. there they do in May. Yeah. Beautiful place and a, a powerful place. So the, the, the people who ran the pottery loved lobsters. So I would be dispatched to the north coast to <laughs> buy a lobster, which you could do for one pound. You got a big yeah. lobster. And of course, I got a little share of it then for that. So mm. we had a great time. Then I had to work, uh, find some paying job because what I, what I was doing around Loch Con was just research work as a part of a postgraduate student. So I worked in England for a while, and we can talk about that another time. That was very good, too. Again, I was working as a sea fishery officer, uh, looking after some 440 miles of coastline. We thought in miles in those long, since distant days past. I still think of miles occasionally, oh. now and again. The CAM projects, culture, arts, nature, and wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. You can find the Can Projects podcast at Spreaker.com, Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a lot of the other usual spots. So that was the pottery. Where were we before we got onto that sidetrack? We were talking about the incinerator and um, cement. Clay, yeah, clay versus cement, I think, is how oh, we got onto that's that. that's where it came from. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I once was in County Leitrim because I had friends there who had moved and set up the um, place at Ross Inver, an eco-village. Yeah. And uh, that became the North Leitrim Vegetable Growers. Hmm. And they had that, a lot of pushback on that as well, though, um, from, from uh, the building regulators and everything. They were crawling all over them. I know. Like, Our building regulators really, you know, there's some good... Mm. In it, and we can talk about the building regs in a while because Zero Waste Alliance Ireland is in a battle with the building mm. regulations at the moment mm. because we want cert we believe certain things should be yeah. open and should be allowed. Like and, um, the Eco Village, they wanted their own anaerobic digester and they wanted their own like 
turbines and they wanted to build yep. various different styles of houses, eco, like yep. ecological houses. And pretty much everything was slapped down. They were like, no, you have to build like uniformly. <laughs> you know, and, I know. And yeah. the eco village down in Clough Jordan in County Tipperary had a similar battle to it. Hmm. The problem I think here we have in Ireland is that many of the um, people in our regulatory authorities are very reluctant to move away from the standard, what they see as the standard tried and true methods. And you know, well, they have a, they have a, they have an interest in that, don't they? Isn't that fair to say? That, like, uh, they're they're just, uh, yeah, they're very reluctant to explore. And you know, it, it's sad because the Global Eco Village Network, which is a great crowd of people, they meet every so often. In Europe, with our 27, 30 or so countries, we have 200 eco-villages. There's only one in Ireland. And yeah, in the 1960s, I thought Ireland would be an absolute ideal location for eco-villages. We had a conference in 1976 out mm-hmm. in Glencree Centre for Reconciliation. Yeah. And hundreds of people attended. And I thought, Ireland is going to be a fabulous place. Yeah. New ideas. Um, a lot of people living communally, eco-village networks spread. It all died in the 1980s. The 1980s in Ireland was a lost decade. Mm. We just mm. became mini capitalists. Mm. Then we yeah. came, became big capitalists, with the result that the land became destroyed, the soil has become damaged, rivers have become polluted, mm-hmm. and also our, our own minds have become damaged. It's quite tragic, people. really. It, it was, is. It, it was You're unnecessary. Right. It's very tragic because um, as a country, we should be leading in many different ways. Oh, okay. yeah. Our, our politicians say, oh, we've got the biggest, the biggest um, data centers. So what? Uh, we've got all these big chemical companies. So what? I yeah. Said. yeah. How are the ordinary people surviving? To yeah. me, I look at the country. I, I look at the poets the artists, the writers, and the ordinary Sean and Mary citizen. How are they doing? Not the millionaires. Yeah. Any no. country can have them, and they can have three quarter, 99% of the country in poverty. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's, to us, we were talking about that a little bit, Jack. It goes back to exploitation, really. Whether it it's does. exploitating the people or the economy, their environment, it's all exploitation, really. If, if people are or they're hoarding <laughs> their resources, yeah. What else and, is it but exploitation? Well, um, there's a lot of exploitation. And Fintan O'Toole, who writes occasionally for the Irish Times, and I'm a great fan of his stuff, he's pointed out that all, not all, but many of the absolute billionaires got that way by getting a hold of and exploiting a communal resource that was owned by the Irish people. And he gave one example among many was the man who got hold of a certain amount of the electromagnetic spectrum, okay. with the result that he got that for very little money with the aid of a person who was a minister at the time right. and who was later found to have collaborated with him. But that man is still a TD. I'm not naming names, of yeah, course. Yeah. Otherwise, no, no. <laughs> and he made a huge amount of money. And then you, you look at, for example, we mentioned quarrying a while ago and, and cement. Um, the cement industry is very, very powerful. It has mm-hmm. the ear of government. Yeah. A, the other day now in some, one of those looking back to the 19... It's, it's Jack, I think it's fair to say it's kind of, I would consider to be part of what was the kind of, you could call the false economy bubble. 
mm. where we were just building and building and building, but we, we're, there were no actually real amenities going in to, into these places. You know, it, yeah. the, 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 the motivation was just, in my eyes, effectively to profit. The yeah. motivation was greed, Shane. Yeah. Sure greed. Sure. But again, if you look at the capitalist ethic, if you can call it an ethic, <laughs> against which President Michael D. Higgins is always speaking out against, and he's mm. very, very good. Mm. Basically, the system works by exploiting people's greed. Yeah. And it's not a good... Now, of course, what do you replace it with? But that, that's the big question. Now we're moving yeah. from environment into politics. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, like... The more sustainable way is, in the long run, cheaper, like, for the company. Which is, we have to be sustainable, Chris, because mm. if we're not sustainable, we are yeah. definitely not going to survive comfortably. We'll mm. survive, but probably mm. we'll know how we'll survive. Yeah. And, Chris, you mentioned sustainability. It is incredibly important. And what's equally important is knowing what sustainability is. And I see the word used by estate agents uh, marketing people, uh, people who uh, pretend that they can teach you all about companies. Oh, you have to have a sustainable company. How do you run your vans, diesel? Oh, that's very sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> when I think about sustainability, I think about people living in a rainforest for maybe 10,000 years. And the rainforest is still as good as it was. Yeah. Now, we can't do that, but can we live, and this is the challenge facing human societies worldwide, mm. can we live in a way that not only are we using less than what the planet produces, but we are regenerating mm. and repairing the damage and destruction of the last 100 years or 150 years since the Industrial Revolution began? Yeah. Yeah. Only that, in that that's a very exciting topic to me, actually, like, the, and coming from the, I, I think I saw you, like, this issue of innovation and technology, that it is very exciting when you see what's happening on the, uh, in there. It's just, for me, it's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a pity that it's taken this long for it to get real mm. traction. That's the problem, Shane. It's taking an awful long time. I remember reading back, reading the 19, in 1972, the Limits to Growth study. Hmm. which was a fabulous study where the uh, people who are doing it, uh, Donella Meadows, Jürgen Randers, and based on the work by the American professor Jay Forrester on global modeling, hmm. were showing that we cannot continue the path we're going on. Now, a lot of people said, oh, that's just doom and gloom. No, it's not. It's basically saying, if you do this, this will happen. It's realistic. It's it's very realistic. Practical. You know, it so happened that it didn't take into account to the extent which it should the uh, effect of climate change. And so it's, the, the model is actually worse now. It's more difficult. But what we have to do, according to that model, is cut back hugely on industrial production. Now, this was 1972. Yeah. They redid the model in 1992 and they refined re, re it again in 2002. And each time, the model showed we were traveling further and faster towards global collapse of ecosystems, of economies. And you can see that beginning to happen as well. Yeah, there's an energy crisis. Like we're right on the cusp of an energy crisis. There's an energy crisis. There's a materials crisis. There's a lot of, and of course, there's a climate change. And the climate change 
is a crisis. Well, do you know, Jack, we, we like we, we I've hit on it. There's a point of it to do with that. I've been starting to tune in that, you know, to call it climate change to me is like it's a little bit misleading because like climates do change. What's really happening mm. is it's climate impact. We're having an impact on the environment. It's environmental impact, really. To call it climate yeah. change is like, it's like, well, are we going to call it like climate inevi inevitability? Like change is inevitable as well. So it's a very, to me, misleading kind of term. The only constant is change. Yeah. It is. That's right, Chris. Well, Shane and Christy, the word I use a lot is climate chaos. That's, yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. Climate is changing, but it's changing in a way that's chaotic. And the important point, which I think some mm. of the climate deniers latch on to or, or will ignore, is the speed of change. You can look back mm. 50, 60 uh, million years. You can look back several hundred million years. There were times when the Earth was warmer. There were times when the Earth was cooler. But those changes might have taken, say, a million or two million or a million years yeah. to happen. We're causing that degree of change to happen in probably 50 or 100 years. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, the, the estimate for the ice age was that, like, the ice crept about a foot a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that, that to, to cover half the earth in ice, that's, yeah. you know, a couple of thousand years. <laughs> we did have a big freeze back. Yeah. If I could remember my geology, there was certainly a period millions of years ago when the earth was almost frigid. Mm. And there was periods in the, when you think about but, when all those seams of coal and oil yeah. were laid down, the Carboniferous period, the earth was very yeah. warm. But the earth has a very clever way of getting rid of all that carbon. It's when a natural you, balance. like It yeah. was. The earth has a, an amazing ability, if we didn't interfere with it, to balance itself. And I'll tell you who brings that out very, very well. John, what's his name? The Gaia Hypothesis, that independent. Oh. Uh, James Lovelock. Yep. James Lovelock. Now, I think he's tremendous. He has shown that the Earth behaves, as he said, like a homeostatic system. Mm. It's like the temperature in your body. You, it, you have an internal system that keeps you from getting too hot or too cold. Yeah. And the Earth behaves like that it does fluctuate, but very, very slowly. And human beings have lived and evolved at a time when the Earth's temperature was reasonably constant. Mm. And we're now pushing it back or pushing it forward to a much, much warmer planet, which will we'll survive okay, but maybe 100 million uh, refugees, maybe several billion people will die because there won't be food. Places where food could be grown, it can no longer be grown. We have to develop new forms of agriculture. But better mm -hmm. still, we have to try and stop doing the things which are causing climate change. Yeah. And that means stopping burning fossil fuels. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of on the way to that, but it's, it's, it's just too it's slow. Just slow. Yeah. It's too slow. And in many countries, the, the curve is not going downwards. It's still either constant or even increasing. Hmm. If you look at Ireland, you, you, do you remember the lockdown, the COVID-19 lockdown in 2020, 2021? Yeah. Roads got a little bit freer. Now you drive into Mullingar, which is my local town, and there's a traffic jam. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And you drive up to Dublin and the M3 and the M4 are crammed with cars. And I believe I read in the Guardian the other day that there's protests in Britain about a 29 billion English pound, 29 billion English pound 
plan to build even more roads there? Do they not know climate change is coming? Well, what we should be doing is getting people out of um, cars onto fast, reliable, quick public transport. Mm-hmm. And that that's easy well, to Jack, do. That goes back to the, the question of infrastru- infrastructure, I think, has been really neglected yeah. in this mm-hmm. country. And like whether it's the health system or public transport, it, there's, there's been mega neglect as far as um, investing in, in, in infrastructure. I mean, we don't even have enough skills or doctors right now. That's so right, Shane. And it, it's, it's awful, really. Um, it seems, well, again, I can point very clearly to what happened in about the 1980s. There was a kind of an idea. I wouldn't call it a philosophy. It doesn't merit the name of philosophy. It's an ideology. <laughs> and it seemed to come largely from the United States and the Chicago School of Economics and Harvard and Yale and, and their universities. And it was pushed hard by Reagan and by Thatcher. And the idea was that governments should do as little as possible. And slim down govern, government. Yeah, privatization, Jack, really, wasn't that what Thatcher, that was, that was what? It's it, a burden, yeah, it's privatization. It's a burden on industry. If you didn't have government regulations, industry could function more effectively. If you didn't even have workers, the yeah. industry could be more profitable. So the important thing became deliver the uh, more money to the shareholders. And of course, that led to the global financial collapse. Mm-hmm. It also led to light regulation, as it's called. It also led to countries um, really not doing enough about their infrastructure. So health services became privatized. Hospitals were sold off. What do we do in Ireland? Oh, we 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 took it on full full blast. Yeah. We sold off our oil refinery. We sold off our um, sugar factories, and that's a sad one. We we try to sell off everything. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the government at one stage tried to sell off the the Quilcha, uh, the National Forest yeah. Service? Yeah. Yeah. Now that is crazy. Yeah, but. The, they still have that idea. There are people in government, in the public service, senior people, maybe not the same age as I am, but they should be long since retired. <laughs> I should be long since retired. <laughs> nah, you've no, still got still lots of work to do, though, isn't it? That's oh, the, I know. That's, yeah. but if I can tell you, for example, about the sugar system, in the 1930s or 40s, I wish I could remember, um, the government at the time, decided that we needed to stop importing sugar and we can develop our own sugar industry because we have the stuff called sugar beet. It grows very, very well in Ireland. Yeah. So Colox Sucre Eiren was established. Um, three factories were built. Within about half a year, we were self-sufficient in sugar. Within a year, we were exporting sugar. And not only that, but the company at that time now, they weren't into making loads of money. This was, a, this was what companies are now supposed to do, grab money, no matter what you do. This company was more, had a, at that time, pre-Thatcher, pre-Regan, more of a service orientation. So they did some research. They found out the varieties of sugar beet that, did, that was very good for Ireland. They also found out certain kinds of soil was good and certain kinds was bad of these discovered that lime was a very good thing to do. So instead of saying to the farmers, go buy lime, they opened up lime quarries 
and the farmer got back lime after delivering his sugar beet. And when the sugar beet was processed into sugar, there was a fibrous material left over, which is then brought back to the farms to feed cattle. And a lot of the sugar beet went by train as well. So it worked very, very well. And we could export sugar. Mm. So it gave employment. And now they were not great at cleaning up the environment. That wasn't important in the 1960s and 70s. But then under the influence of this stupid privatize everything, it was sold off. And I remember at the time being doing some work for uh, a group of people down in Wexford. And it so happened I was staying with a farmer. He was a former sugar beet farmer. And he, I had read in the paper that the sugar beet um, plant at Carlo was very profitable. And it was going to be closed down. So I said, why, are you, why is this company? Because the company was sold now. It's no longer Colochucraeron. It was a management buyout. The five directors of Colochucraeron bought it. And he said, look where the factory is located. We got out a map right on the edge of a town. He said, that site is worth hundreds of millions for shopping centers, yeah. for factories, for offices, for anything. Then it tumbled to me what was happening. Those guys closed down the factory and made millions. They probably divided up 300 million between the five of them, selling off the site. Yeah. And who suffered? The farmers. And what's more, to make matters even more worse, at that time, Ireland was, uh, Europe was producing a lot of sugar. And the European Commission said, well, any country that wants to slow down or, or stop producing as much sugar, we'll, we'll pay the farmers something. But they used the word producers. All right. The company, that time it was called um, Green Core, said, hang on, we're the producers, not the farmers. So they got the money from the European Commission. And the farmers who are now had no crop got nothing. That's Since scandalous. that time, there's, well, look, they, they defrauded the farmers. That's exactly yeah. the word, Jack. Defrauding is like, that is pretty much it, isn't it? Here in Ireland, I won't name him. Uh, he owns two of the, of the foremost hospitals in Ireland, and he defrauded the government twice. Hmm. And, it, and the fraudulent activity was proven as a result of the beef tribunal. There's actually a thing in India at the moment where they're doing a very similar thing. Like the government had like set prices for the farmers that you yeah. sell it through their wholesaler and, you know, yeah. making a fair price for the farmer so they didn't mm -hmm. have to do, you know, work too hard to make a living. Mm -hmm. But they're closing that down eventually and they're replacing it with like independent wholesalers. You know, yeah, this is a problem. It's, it's this kind of ethic or, 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 or kind of ideology yeah. that's literally it's spread worldwide. It yeah. profits the people who have lots and lots of money. It profits those who can exploit others. It doesn't you, profit you mean, more. You mean the rich get richer? Of course. <laughs> You've seen it. Um, the average of Americans worker hasn't pay, has not improved in terms of his or her purchasing power mm -hmm. since the 1970s. Yeah. And the average American worker, the boss might have earned maybe 20, 30 times as much as the average worker. Mm -hmm. Now the boss in the United States earns thousands of times more than the average worker. It's kind of, it's like, that's, it's like, they see that as a measure of success is like, yeah. uh, how much better can I do than somebody else? Of yeah. course they do, because it profits them to see it that way. Yeah. And, and the then by, by putting out the idea 
that success means grabbing more money. I don't use the term making money because mm. making money is only available to banks or counterfeiters. Yeah. How the wealthy get very wealthy is by taking money from other people. Now, you can do it quite nicely. If I'm a news agent in a shop and I sell stuff at a reasonable price, I'm taking money from other people, but I'm not exploiting them. No, and you're providing... If I happen you. to have the one of the few... Um, very few, let's say, again, mobile phone services in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have, to, or say I, for example, I, I supply water. You think of England now rather than Ireland. Mm. If I supply water and England divided up its water supply to private companies because they can be competitive. Yeah. But if I'm living in Yorkshire, I can't get them my water from the southeast of England. I have to buy it from the, the, the water supply company that supplies me. A, cap, a captive audience, you know? Captive. Yeah, exactly. And it's not efficient either, like to be, like you're adding on, you know, a lot of, of unnecessary effort. Well, there's this kind of crazy idea that, that uh, competition means efficiency. Unfortunately, it's been proven time and time again, particularly by a number of Nobel Prize winning economists, mm. it doesn't mean so. The greatest competition, that was the most stupid one, I think one I ever saw was, Standing in Mullingar railway station one morning at around half past eight, I must have been early for the train, and the bus was standing by there. Now, if you live in any of the small towns around the bigger town of Mullingar, there's no little bus service brings you into Mullingar. No, that doesn't happen. But there's a bus standing at the station at half past eight or eight o'clock brings you to Dublin. But the bus is always empty because who wants to go on a bus which takes more than two hours when you can get on the train for an hour, which will take you to Dublin in an hour and 10 minutes. Mm. So the bus driver was there leaning up against the wall, taking a breath of fresh air. So I said, typical, how are you? What nice day, Grant. I said, um, you're, you're going to Dublin. Ah, yeah, I've been heading off to Dublin now very soon. So I said, isn't it a great pity there wouldn't be lots of buses bringing people from towns like Castle Pollard and Kinnegal and Multifarnham in to meet the train. Ah, no, he said, we have to have the competition. Hmm. He had to compete with the train, even if it meant his bus was empty. There yeah. might be one person on it and the train would be packed. That's the competition. Wow. So it is absolutely stupid. And another form of hmm. competition which has been uh, uh, described in, in, a, in a government report as actually not working very well is coming back to waste. Um, if I'm living in a housing estate in Dublin, let's say I can go to A1 waste or Malidi's waste or this waste or that waste, and they will come and collect my bin. Okay. But you look at the housing estate, and on Thursdays it's one waste uh, a lorry comes along. On Friday, another waste lorry comes along to lift 20 or 30 or 40 bins. The following Monday, a different company comes along. So all these lorries are basically servicing their customers. It's not cheaper. They all no. charge the same. Yeah. But yeah. you have all these. And I, the date was very funny. I saw um, two waste lorries passing each other, one going one way, one the other way. Leapfrogging along. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's... It's, it, it's uh, I don't know. And yeah. we, this government report said the Irish government has lost control of waste. We've handed it over entirely to the private industry. This is one of the reasons why we were bottom of the league as far as recycling is concerned. Mm. Because if I'm running a waste company, what I want to do, I want to get as much as possible. 
and give it to a, um, a cement plant or bury it in the ground. Recycling is expensive. Yeah. And it's even more expensive in Ireland where we don't, where we don't um, uh, sort our waste at home. And, we and put Jack, everything in a big bin called recyclables. Yeah. Jack, while we're on that, that topic of recycling, it's, it's been in the news now last week that uh, the EPA made an announcement that uh, 70% of Irish plastic is incinerated. And that announcement came the day after we were in the news. We we're like, oh, aren't we so great? We're, we're now we're going to we're going to take soft plastics and we're going to recycle it. But still, 70 yeah. percent of it is being incinerated. I would agree with that. It ends up being burned. The CAM projects, culture, arts, nature and wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. You can find the CAN Projects podcast at Spreaker.com, Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a lot of the other usual spots. So again, for our right. viewers, um, Jack at ZWA Alliance, uh, Z, uh, ZWAI, ZWAI. <laughs> ZWAI.ie, for anybody interested in this that thinks they can help, Jack and ZWA are the guys to talk to. And Orla... We can't forget about Orla. No, <laughs> no. And, and guys, again, there's the website if you want to learn more. There it is right now on screen for everybody. So, Jack, thanks again so much. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, yeah. Chris. Thanks, Jack. Keep well. Bye now. Thank you. Bye All now. the best. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, we, Chris. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Another champion for things that are vulnerable and in danger, yeah. like our environment well, and us, I mean, us as a race. About here, I'd put Jack about here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. So that's it, guys. We'll, we'll uh, roly-poly the old, uh, the old intro here. We'll, we'll do our wavy wave to say goodbye. A wavy Bye-bye. It's the Calm Projects, Culture Arts, Nature and Wellness. Check out our website in the description. Thank you. Song and the Can Projects email is canprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the Can Projects website in the description. All the best.